Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. Our guest today comes to us from New York. He's currently a professor of music composition at Fredonia School of Music. Today, we're going to talk to him about his work towards equality and representation for composers around the world. He is the founder and director of the Institute of Composer Diversity and is a big proponent for equal representation for living composers. Today, we're going to talk to him about his amazing new endeavors, what organizations can do to encourage the performance and representation of living composers, as well as discover who the man is behind the humorous and informative Twitter feeds. Please welcome Rob Deemer. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Really appreciate it. Um, it's it's great to finally kind of talk to you face to face rather than uh, via email or Facebook instant messenger. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're really excited to have you today. So thanks for agreeing to be on our show. Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit um, about maybe your 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 previous your youth and your background, maybe your musical background. Sure. Sure. So I grew up in Northern Illinois, in DeKalb, Illinois, which is about an hour and a half West of Chicago out in the cornfields. And uh, for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a high school band director. Uh, so I, I studied music education at NIU and even though I thought I was going to be a high school band director, I thought, you know, I, I'd still, I'd loved uh, arranging big band charts when I was in high school. And then I took some arranging classes in college. And one thing led to another. And I basically just discovered that I liked writing music and, and that people thought I was pretty good at it. And so I, at that point, um, and this was in the early nineties, I never really ever thought that I would be like a concert composer, like someone who'd be writing symphonies and string quartets and all of that. But, but the idea of writing um, film music was something that I was like, oh, that's something I could, I could imagine. Because uh, my concept of what a composer was back in the day was a little bit like, you know, Mozart. You know, all composers <laughs> yeah. had to start when they were six. And here I was in my early 20s. And I'm like, well, I must have missed that, that bus. So, you missed the window. I, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> how, could I possibly, how could I possibly be a composer? Uh, I'm, I'm too old. I missed the boat. So I figured, well, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I love to, you know, go out to Los Angeles and be a film composer. So basically, I, I graduated I spent a year on a cruise ship uh, playing saxophone every night wow. uh, in order to get enough money to at least get things started so I could attend the film scoring program at, out at the University of Southern California. And then I moved out to Los Angeles, lived there for three years, and discovered a few things. First, I loved scoring films, which was really a lot of fun. Uh, I also discovered that I really didn't like the idea of being a freelancer, uh, which unfortunately, if you're going to be a f film composer, there's not really any salaried gigs with something like that. So uh, especially in the mid nineties. So, so I kind of been like, okay, well that's an issue. I also discovered that I missed teaching 
and uh you know i missed being around uh education and i just remembered thinking that I, that I missed being on a college campus and all of those things. And so I started thinking, maybe I should go back to grad school. Cause at that point I was like, Oh, pff, what do I need grad school for? <laughs> but the final thing that I discovered was that up until that point, I'd never actually taken a composition lesson before I was completely self-taught. Oh, wow. And I was having fun, but you get to that point where you're like, I should know how to do that. And I don't know how to do that. Or you like, you kind of, you come to the edge of of your uh you know the 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 boundaries on the map and you're kind of like i i should probably go actually learn how to be a composer maybe uh and so i decided to go back do my masters back at northern illinois university uh actually because a i was like i already know those folks and they know me but i also didn't know whether or not i wanted to be a composer or conductor so i basically you know I, I, so I did both. I actually did a master's in composition and a performer's certificate in conducting over the course of three years, got to work with the wind ensemble there and, and the Philharmonic and it was wonderful. And I finally made the decision uh, within those three years that I would rather be a composer who conducted rather than a conductor who composed uh, <laughs> for many reasons, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, and then I decided to go do my doctorate down at the University of Texas at Austin. And so I was there for four years and got a chance to not only learn a lot about contemporary music, which I was like, I was remember I was a jazzer back when I was in high school and in right. and in grad. And I was a saxophone player. So I never really grew up with like your traditional Bach, Beethoven, Brahms type type musical background. And so, you know, I was kind of trying to catch up with that and then learning all of these contemporary living composers uh, i worked with a new music ensemble there at ut austin and uh you know so that was fun and then one thing led to another and then and two weeks before i graduated i found myself uh getting a year-long um uh uh thing kind of filling in for a position at the university of oklahoma so i went and taught there for a year and then uh that job was only a year and so then i found myself going now what do i do i'm here right. i'm in oklahoma i have no idea what i'm gonna do i finally ended up uh getting some adjunct work at oklahoma city university but i also had this idea of like you know i've always wanted to get into radio I've always wanted to, to, to do radio. And so I just had this idea of like, why don't I create a radio show? And so I did, it was called the composer next door and the folks at, uh, at, uh, central Oklahoma university, which is where the, uh, the NPR station is there in Oklahoma agreed to let me do a radio show. And wow. so I did that for like two and a half years. I was in Oklahoma for a year and then I got the gig at Fredonia and, and then kept doing it for about a year after that. And it was fun because I was just emailing everybody under the sun and be like, you don't know who I am, but I'm Rob Beamer. I'm here in Oklahoma and I'd love to play your music on the radio show. And everyone's like, okay, here's... <laughs> <laughs> these people would, everybody would be sending me these cds and and it was great it was wonderful and it was it was a way for me to be able to start to get to know who's out there and i think it um to tag on to what we'll probably be talking about later is that the broader the window was that i started to know what was out there the better the picture was 
right? Because mm-hmm. so often we tend to know our own little circles and we have our own little biases and, 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 and experiences and that's how we know what the world is. But then over time, uh, you know, you might, you meet more composers, you hear about more composers and then you just kind of goes from there. And that, that radio show kind of forced me to learn who was out there because one of the things I wanted to do with the radio show was to feature composers all across the country. So I would be like, okay, who are the composers who are in Montana and in Wyoming and in, you know, South Dakota and all of these folks and, and to, and Alabama and all of these States that we don't normally associate with having a, a, a thriving new music uh, scene. Right. Um, and that was just a lot of fun to kind of get a sense of who the composers were all across the country. And so that, that idea of kind of, um, advocating for living composers and trying to make sure that people knew who was out there and, and getting a sense of that. So that, that kind of goes back quite a ways, uh, <laughs> 2007 that I was starting to do that. So then I was teaching here at Fredonia. I started here in 2007 and as you do, I was still, com- you know, composing and teaching and all of this stuff. And I started, uh, had this idea, which I've never actually, it is never actually seen fruition yet, but, uh, I had this idea of going and interviewing all of these composers and I ended up interviewing about 150 composers back in the day. And it wasn't, this was before we all had a lot of podcasts and the idea. <laughs> I was just literally, I'd fly to New York city and I would like trudge around with my bag with, with like a, uh, like a little, you know, recording device. And I had a bunch of questions and I would sit there and talk with folks for two or three hours. And then I would like, go jump on a subway and go up, go up to the upper east side and talk to someone else. And I would do that for like, I did that for like a year and a half. Wow. And I got again, another chance to be able to, 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 uh, to meet people. And when I happened to run into them, I would, I would do these interviews. And so as I was doing that, I met the folks at new music box, uh, mm. which is the online magazine with new, uh, new music USA. And they asked me to, hey, would you be interested in writing uh, a short column every week? And so then I did that for three years. And you see how these things, they're just kind of one accident after another. I've literally just been like tripping and stumbling throughout my entire career. (laughs) But they're all building onto each other, so. Oh, and they do. And there is a point to to, (laughs) it. I told you that to tell you this. but in 2013, after after doing after writing uh, these these things for a couple of years, uh, there there was a a, a a conversation that was happening in March of 2013 where folks were trying to dis, you know they were discussing the idea of whether or not women composers should be thought of as women composers or just mm. composers, right? right? And there's so many reasons why on both sides right right and of course me being not a woman composer i'm like i'm not gonna get into that that's <laughs> yeah. not, there, there is no room for me in that conversation however um because of all of these adventures that i'd had i knew a lot of composers i knew who at least who they were if not knew them public, uh, you know personally so i just came up with a list and uh, it, it's still out there on New Music Box. It's called a helpful list, and it's basically just uh, 
uh, a list of 200, uh, I think a 201, because of course you couldn't just have an even 200. Of course. 201 <laughs> women composers and hyperlinked to their website. And, and, and one of the things that I did was I mentioned that, you know, the reason why I did that was because I'd heard from so many people that over the years that they wanted to be able to perform more works by women composers or by other composers that they that were outside of the normal canon but they just didn't know how to find it like there right. wasn't like easy way for them to 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 discover that and so i thought great so i'll i'll, I'll do that easy cheesy <clears throat> little did i know so <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea what i was saying myself <laughs> uh on so many levels so so the comment section of that of that post oh no <laughs> so many well no the cool thing was is that so many people were like oh you need to know this composer and this composer and this composer oh cool there's like 400 plus composers in in the in, in the comments section wow which was okay. amazing i was like oh this is so cool i'm learning who, who all these people are and <laughs> And I remember after it came out, I'm like, you know, I should, I should, I should go through and I should just like put those, you know, and do something with them. Fast forward three years. So that was in 2013, 2016. Uh, I, I had a summer before a year long fellowship that I was doing at Baldwin Wall Wallace University. And uh, so I was going to be living by myself. My wife's still up here in Fredonia. I was going to be down in Cleveland and, and I was, I basically had time in my hands. So I'm like, you know, what would be cool? I will go back to that article with that thing that I've been meaning to do for like three years. And I'll like put all of these composers into a spreadsheet uh, as a, as a project for my students here at Fredonia. Uh, because it was, I, I felt, you know, it's really important for them to know, who these composers are and for them to be able to both not only for obviously for my for my uh, female students but also for my male students they need to know who's out there and to make sure that uh you know start the slower arduous process of normalizing that like you know it is right. it should not be like oh this is like a super special thing no there's a bunch of them out there you just don't know who they are you don't know where to find them so right. boom. So as I was putting that spreadsheet together, again, I, I was like, what if I dot, 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 and then. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, you know, the problem with these lists, and there were other lists out there at the time, you know, that I was, I was, I was already aware of, where there was basically lists of composers, and maybe their websites, maybe a little bit about them, but usually just kind of like, here's, you know, it's kind of like Wikipedia, here's all these right. folks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, basically I was like, you know, it'd be good is if you could, if you could, if you could isolate your search by different filters, mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's a book, uh, written by David Daniels called orchestral music that most conductors use as a, as, as a really good tool. And it's great because you can, it lists, it has, it's basically just a big reference book and you can go through and you can find all of the different works by Beethoven or who I'm Ravel and whatnot. And it lists like who the publisher is and the, and the duration and the instrumentation and maybe some program notes, but it's great because in the back of the book, you can go, do you need a work with between five and 10 minutes long for an instrumentation like X here? 
and here's and then have a list of all of the works so i had had experience with this book so i'm like you know that's what could be useful where you can be like let's what if you could find a composer not just here's a list of women composers but composers who've written operas or have written for wind band or written for choir or whatnot and then I'm like, well, let's see, what are the other things that people are going to look for? They're going to look for whether or not they're living or, or historical uh, location, you know, whether mm -hmm. or not a particular city or a state or a different country. Uh, and then also demographics. Right. You know? And, and, and uh, yeah. And so that's what I did for like uh, a year and a half, in the middle of six, 2016 through the end of 2017. And uh at that point, I think I had like 2,800 composers in this Google spreadsheet, wow. which was janky as all hell. Uh, <laughs> and that was it, mostly female composers? It was entirely female composers. It wow. was the Women Composers wow. Database. I actually launched it as like, here's wow. the Women's Composers Database uh, at the end of 2017. And and basically, I was just kind of like, okay, it's it's not done, <laughs> but it's kind of like, here's what we have so far and all of the information is right. And I even remember even back then people were yelling at me. They're like, what do you mean it's done? I was like, it's not, done. <laughs> <laughs> not like if you're not in it, you don't ever get in. That's it. You had your shot. Goodbye. <laughs> Just stop. Okay. So, <laughs> no, it was now little, when you're gone. Little, little, little <laughs> did I know that I, I look back and go, Oh, that's cute. Oh, Redeemer. <laughs> you should, you should have known it wouldn't get worse. So, um, so, so, so that happened and people seemed to like it and it seemed to be useful. And so I'm like, okay, well, the next thing that I want to do is I want to a be able to, at that point I was having some of my students here at Fredonia, uh, they were doing inner, um, they were helping out with in independent studies by helping to, to put this together. Oh, cool. And, and, uh, and basically I was like, okay, well, and the next thing we need to do is we need to go find all of the male composers of color so that then it could be, instead of just women composers database, it could be a little bit more comprehensive and have all the composers of color because it already had all the female composers of color, just out of males. Uh, and so we did that over the next six, six months or so. And then we also, I uh, had some uh, friends help me put together an initial website. Um, and then we called it the Composer Next, and this Composer Next Door, that was my radio show. Uh, <laughs> Composer Diversity Database. And I was lucky enough to get the, the website. A website. Uh, and and uh, yeah, then so we launched that in June of 2018. And basically it was literally just being able to search for composers using all of these different filters. So you have this large list of 30, uh, of 3,500 or whatever it was, uh, composers, and then to be able to filter it down. So you could only had to look through, I don't know, 50 composers at a time, as opposed to all of those types of composers. Uh, and then fast forward uh, a few, uh, another six months. And I, at that point, enough people had told me, you need to get, you're, you're trying to do all of this yourself with some help from your colleagues here at Fredonia. And so then I'm like, okay, uh, so, so what we'll do is I, and, and I knew if I was going to be bringing people on, I was going to have to find a way to 
provide them with at least some financial assistance. Right. Uh, and so I went to the university here, uh, State University of New York at Fredonia, where I'm teaching, and asked them if we could start the Institute for Composer Diversity. And I've had a lot of people ask me, why did you pick that name? And <clears throat> it wasn't to try and make it seem bigger than it was. But I knew I, I, I knew from my experiences uh, on my fellowship and, and just in general that it would be better rather than trying to do uh, fundraising every year if we could find someone affiliated with the university or just out in the world who would be interested in maybe endowing it you know, mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. donate the money, put their name on it. And then, then you could, then, then it's, it's, it's not like it's a money-making thing, but it's, it's some way that, that you can help you. You can provide resources for the folks who are helping you and not have to do all of that. So that was my main thought in terms of, of why I called it that. Um, and, you know, and, and at that point, I already decided that I was never actually going to take any uh, salary or stipend from it. But it's just there for me to be able to provide folks who are helping with that. Yeah, that was actually and, one thing I was going to talk to you ask you about was about you oh, not yeah. getting paid. Because I saw yeah. the uh, the interview you had with African composers. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was interesting that dichotomy, but we can get back to that. <laughs> well, yeah. We have many, we have many rabbit holes to go down. Uh, but I'll try and finish my long-winded uh, uh, kind of description to, to get us to the present day. So we basically started the Institute uh, officially in January of 2019. And then over the last almost two years now, it's kind of uh, shifted and morphed a little bit based on who was helping. Uh, it, it now has a number of different um, initiatives, including both the Composer database and Works database, which currently allows for you to be able to search for wind band music, orchestra music, and art song music. And we're currently building a choral database and a chamber database. And when those things are finally up and running, it should be quite useful for, for the musical community. Uh, writ large. Uh, we also, I because I didn't have enough to do, I suppose, uh, I decided to, in at the beginning of 2019, I decided to, to analyze the upcoming seasons for the 1920 season of, of 120 orchestras around the country and, and uh, put that analysis up on the website. And that got a fair amount of notice from folks in the orchestra community because they're like, who is this guy? Why is he, <laughs> why is he putting these numbers that don't make us look very good and yeah. or, or didn't make us look very good? Right. They, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. So, so <laughs> the idea of using, uh, re of providing resources like the databases plus analysis and then also advocacy in terms of programming and we'll get into this in terms of of all of, of why we're why it is what it is but but those are kind of the three things in terms of of what we've been trying to do is to give folks tools to do better uh give folks um analysis partially be just to show them what the world is in terms of programming these days 
and then also advocacy just in terms of trying to convince folks hey this is something that you can do and when i say this i specifically mean i'm gearing it towards folks who are programming conductors performers educators uh classical music hosts uh, you know, scholars, anyone who's deciding what repertoire goes where in a live concert or in a book or whatnot, for them to be able to broaden their horizon and to find, to provide access to them to discover the works that they may not have discovered otherwise. Uh, and so that's the kind of advocacy that we've been kind of kind of pushing for in terms of trying to get performers and conductors and the folks who are programming to think about their process in a different way. And I think that's probably a good place for me to kind of put a button on that and then <laughs> let you ask with other questions. I'm sure I, I <laughs> it was a bit long winded, but oh, it did give you kind of a, a clear picture of like, how did this guy who was like playing baritone saxophone and writing big band charts back in the early, in the late eighties and early nineties end up doing what he's doing now. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it, 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 it's happened. computer diversity database uh, uh composer sorry not computer uh through jennifer jolly and andrew overall also at fredonia um mm -hmm. and so i was like what is what's going on here and uh i i think i emailed a link that they had sent and i was like talk to you about like how you divert divide it all up and uh you sent me one of those early spreadsheets and I was just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I could already see this is going to get big and it's going to get big fast. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting because when I like, I didn't intend to create what I did, mm -hmm. but it seemed like what would be useful that doesn't currently exist. And then it just kind of grew organically from there. And the challenge with that is, is that when you let something grow organically and not necessarily like with a, a laser point goal in terms of it must be like this narrow and mm -hmm. uh, it can be a challenge sometimes to keep it on track. Like it, <laughs> it, it wants to veer left, it wants to veer right and, and all of these things and, and kind of trying to keep hold of the tiger by the tail, so to speak, uh, has been uh, challenge, but at the same time, it's also engendered a lot of questions and a lot of conversation. And I think ultimately it's been good for the community. Yeah, definitely. I know one of the questions uh, that I've heard, or at least, um, I don't know if you've heard, but 
how with the diversity project you're including race and sexuality and gender um but how uh some might look at it and think well how does this affect those who are cis or we'll just say you know straight white male you know who are just underperformed composers already uh does it help them or does it somehow you know, push back against them since they're part of that, you know, canonical, whatever, um, idea of composers. Right. Right. Um, so one of the reasons why I decided to get into this in the first place was because that I had over time and just through experience realized that while it, it may have seemed at the time that there were a lot of women composers uh, uh, out there. Mm -hmm. There really weren't as many as, so so what's the best way to put this? (laughs) Well, because it's it's a little confusing because there were a lot of women composers out there. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and this, I'm thinking there were, meaning like, say, 15 years ago or even 10 years ago, there, there were, a, there, there have been almost for at least 100 years, I would say, maybe more. There have been a lot of women composing. And I know that there are studies about women in the 19th century. You know, they were, they were also composing, but they were composing things that wouldn't necessarily get noticed by, you know, the Boston Symphony or something like that because of reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was, is that the, the amount that they were being programmed was much less than, than the others. The number that I kept coming up with, uh, over time, looking at my own studies, as well as, as those studies that were done by the boss or the Baltimore symphony orchestra and others over time is usually about 2% Mm -hmm. of say season or a catalog or something along those lines that number kept coming up sometimes a little less sometimes a little more but two percent just kind of came came up over and over again and um it at that point i was kind of like that's not cool yeah (laughs) sounds that can i'm I'm sure probably people are like oh here's this white guy going that's not cool that probably should have like that but I, I don't mean for it's, it, yeah, I'm just going to step in it anyway. But the idea of like, that is an issue that needs to be addressed because it, because my experience having worked with a lot of, of uh, younger composers over time mm-hmm. is, you know, I was guessing that probably because there, there's no way, and I've had plenty of people ask, how do we find out how many women composers there actually are versus like, you know, all of the living composers. And I'm like, there's, there's, I don't know. There's no way, there's no really strong way to be able to do that. I've had people ask me, go to ASCAP, go to BMI, get the numbers. They're not going to give me the numbers because they don't even ask your gender when you apply for ASCAP or BMI. Right. 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 So they don't even have that. Yeah. The idea of of two percent seems so low as to be like, look, that that's being artificially 
held down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, for so many reasons and so many, like you can't just say one thing is the, is the thing that causes it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew at least from my own experience that a lot of it was knowledge and access. They didn't know who the composers were and they didn't know how to be able to access the composers and their works. The websites were out there, but you know, even if you went to one of these sites where you just had a list of names, that's like searching for a needle in a haystack. Oh, I hope I can find someone who's written a cool string, string quartet in this list of hundreds of women composers, right? Yeah, it's, it's daunting <laughs> if you do it that way. Exactly. And so that's kind of how this, this whole thing kind of came about. So in terms of the impact on living composers who are cis white male, um, we have not yet done a study on that yet but part of that is because we just haven't and we're still doing that i i'd love to be able to do let's say for orchestra i'd love to be able to do uh, a longitudinal study for like the last five or six years and kind of see where all of those different demographics how it's changed over the last say six years same with wind band same with choir so Maybe in two years, I'll be able to tell people this is what the impact is. But we're still so new and we're yeah. still like building all of these things. It just, it's going to take a while. And everybody wants to have the information like right away. And I'm like, it takes an enormous amount of time to be able <laughs> to get all of this information and put it into a way, a mechanism by which it can be used easily and found easily. And you're you try your best not to 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 make sure that you've you've a dotted your eyes and and crossed your t's, but also you haven't done things in a way that's going to be problematic. Yeah, and you try your best, and then find oh no, shouldn't have done that. All right, well let's try and fix that, and then <laughs> then we go from there. But in terms of in terms of like, if if I had let's say a a, a group of 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 ten white cis male composers. I, you know, in front of me and asking me, why are you doing this? And and you're, you're having an impact on, on our careers. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but think of, of what these folks who belong to these underrepresented groups have had to deal with. Like Mm -hmm. they've been dealing with a lot more than that for a lot longer. Yeah. And I know that may sound a little uh, goofy coming from a cis white guy. Um, (laughs) Um, who has actually been doing it enough, even though like, yes, I know I, it's not like I'm having a thriving compositional career. I have a good compositional career. I'm never going to win a Pulitzer prize or a Guggenheim or anything like that. But I like to think that there's, there are folks who like to play my music from time to time. But this is, this has become something that I don't see it necessary as a calling, but it is a place where my time and, uh, and, and talents seem to be helping. And so that's, that's why I'm doing it. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit that with the kind of basis of what our show is, I've heard back from a few people who said something similar about like, well, why do you have to go, find instruments or find people from around the world that 
you know, people might not know and their music and talk to them and things. And when there's plenty of people in Houston who haven't, you know, it's like, well, it's true, but there's, everyone deserves an equal share at the table, you know, and for those who don't have that opportunity, this is another way, another avenue, at least we might be able to highlight their abilities. So, man, absolutely. Oh, that's just such a gorgeous sentiment. I was, you know, listening to you speak and I'm thinking like, man, I wish I would have had this database. And like when I was going to school and, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm so excited that it exists. I was like, I didn't hear you say the dates at first. And I was like, man, did like my professors not know about this? What the hell? And then I'm like, oh, okay. I had, I'd already been out of school by the time all this had come out. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm so excited for younger generations. Um, I'm a female composer and I did my undergrad at the University of Montana and I remember just my professors saying to me like you need to go listen to more music but I was from a rural community I also grew up in like grew up in Houston but also small town Montana and I was like I just had no idea I didn't know what I didn't know and I didn't know how to go find out and I remember just feeling like punished in a way of like well, I guess I'll start with Beethoven or, or Bach and then they're yelling at me to listen to more contemporary people and I'm like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just I'm so excited to hear just about this project and I just I think this is gonna have just an enormous impact on, you know, everyone that studies composition, not only the cis white males, but the the females and the people of color and I'm just I'm so excited to see where this goes. I don't know, in ten years I can't even imagine. <laughs> So thank you for your work. This is just oh, amazing. Well, and thank you. I mean, it's, it's you know, what you just mentioned is, is really kind of where I've been coming from at it because I grew up in, it wasn't a small, small town. It was a co college town out in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember very vividly, uh, trying not to sound too old, <laughs> but you know, pre-internet, if you wanted to find music, you either had to be lucky enough that the record store, the record store yeah. <laughs> happened to get whatever they happened to get, either cassette tapes or, or LPs, even before or CDs came in, um, or you had to go into Chicago, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would, you know, every, every few months I would, I would be lucky enough to be able to get into Chicago and, and go to Tower Records or Rose Records or Virgin Records and, and go see, oh, what? what kind of recordings can I find here that I couldn't find back in my hometown? And I remember one of the other aspects of that, that I think really kind of has resonated with this whole thing is how our current way that people tend to find music is by online media, mm -hmm. be it Spotify, be it YouTube, take your pick. <laughs> Mm -hmm. the challenge with those things are is that it does not let you browse very well right because of the <laughs> algorithm that it's showing you it's a little bit easier for you to search and and if you can find something via search that's that's one thing but still even the search you kind of have to filter through their algorithms when you're going through there as opposed to back in the day, going through a music library, going through uh, a record store, and literally just thumbing through and discovering things that you wouldn't have normally come across. Mm -hmm. And 
I think there's something really, really special about being able to do that, that we can't really do today as much as we normally would be able to. And so that's part of the reason why something like this, where you can do a search for hopefully, you know, we, you can't do this, right? Well, we, we'll talk about like, let's say a band piece. You can actually do a search for a band piece by a living woman composer. And I don't know, let's say, and, and in someone based in the state of California, uh, for those of you who, in, who are in California. <clears throat> and then you can actually just go and discover things as opposed to like, like a laser beam trying to, to find the thing. No, I love the idea of providing the opportunity to discover, not to have a thumb on the scale. Mm-hmm. Like obviously the last person to be a gatekeeper. And I've really tried hard to make sure that, you know, even to the point where one of the, one of the things that we discovered, uh, you know, several months ago, the beginning of the summer, I think was like, wait a minute, all of our searches, when, when, when you do a search and the, the results come up, they're in alphabetical order for the oh. works database. Okay. And, and so of course, that is in and of itself biasing against anyone <laughs> whose name ends with W or T, right? They're never, you're never going to get to them <laughs> just in terms of the way that people search, right? Mm-hmm. And then, then we fixed that. And then we actually didn't realize until several months later that, oh, the composer diversity database, we forgot to do that too. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's been kind of, you know, building the plane as we fly it, but it's just simple things like that to be able to kind of do a search and then just allow it to randomize what, what the, uh, the results are to make sure that you're not allowing that, that organizational part of our brain un, unwittingly biases up, bias us against certain composers because where they happen to, to end up on a list. Right. So, so that idea of, I, I guess, uh, uh, short story long this uh that this whole idea of uh of allowing for discovery is something that i think is is really fun and and is one of the big kind of underlying foundational components of this oh that's amazing i kind of remember my so my first year at the university of montana i kind of did something similar where i remember going to i think it was a hastings and being like, okay, I need to find classical music. So I'm, I'm just like, they had like the tiniest little section. And I maybe, I think I bought like some adagios for strings or something because that's what sold and was on the shelf. And I remember thinking like, okay, there's gotta be something better out there. And that was even before, I think like Spotify was just launching and like it hardly had grasped the con- the classical world that they, I mean, I love their classical library now, but it's like that just wasn't a thing and then i think i tried naxos and was like completely lost in naxos <laughs> so that's just i love that idea of being able to browse and just see what's out there and kind of you know throw in some a couple search parameters so that your brain kind of knows what's going on and now that's so cool <laughs> so i i do want to ask you about your interview with the african composers uh youtube is that okay yeah, okay. sure. So uh, they had a good questions about labels um, when it came to how you categorize things. Did it make you think about how the labels of the composer database might affect its success outside of like 
the European Western Caucasian normative? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. And it was, uh, that was a fascinating uh, conversation that I enjoyed so much. She was um, fascinating. <laughs> she's, she's wonderful. And um, no, it was, it was really a lot of fun to, to, to think about looking at this through different lenses. And, and I think one of the things that we kind of have to keep in mind is that uh, something that has come up continually kind of throughout this entire project is that we can't be everything to all people. Right. At some point you have to make a decision of like, all right, it can't be any, every, it, it can't be that comprehensive because it literally, because that can kind of wrap around itself. Right. Uh, where it's going in two directions at the same time. And then that's less useful, let's say. Yeah. And so I think ultimately for right now, I would say that, you know, we're trying to deal with uh, music, the concert music scene, but also the music education scene. Yeah. And does it have an American bent to it? Sure, of course. We're all American. We, we are all, it is based here in the United States. Everyone who's working on it is American. Uh, so that just kind of you know, at this point, in the first few years of its of its existence, uh, it makes sense to kind of at least allow for it to have that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, how to be able to address those questions? I think definitely they should be addressed. Uh, and how is is going to be again one of those slow, um, organic processes because it's really easy to be like, okay, this person said we need to do this. So then we'll do that. And then that person said we need to do this and then we do it. And the next thing you know, you're playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, so, and, and, and it has been a real challenge because sometimes people are like, no, you need to do the thing. And I'm like, well, um, yeah. And I get that. Yes. But there are other sides to this. And I've been trying to, to, to be as neutral about it as I can in terms of both what, physically and, and technologically, what can we do, but then also what is the best way to do it? And I understand that I'm coming at it from a point of privilege and a place of privilege, uh, not only being the person who started it, but also who I am and where I am and all of those things. Just trying to do the best thing for all, for as many people as possible. And so um, I think it is really good to keep that in mind uh, but at the same time, I think for the most part, the folks who are using it, the way that it's currently structured, and it still needs some ad additions. We, we, we've got a few categories that we need to add. Um, you know, we need to, to add things like um, indigenous cultures from outside of uh, American Indian and, um, and Alaska Native um, we need, we definitely need to add um, uh, something like Pacific Islander mm. or, or Oceana, you know, some, something along those lines. Those are things that, that uh, basically just because uh, back when we were putting this together, we just weren't finding anybody from, from those uh, places, but now we have. Mm -hmm. And so now we need to be able to fix that. So it's still going to be fluid and it will, it will kind of ebb and flow, I think, um, but but at the same time, the idea of still kind of 
keeping it within a certain direction for at least for now seems to be the best way to go about it. But it, it, it brings up a really good question in terms of the original thing was to create the composer database, right? Because that was kind of like, that's, that's where it started is just finding the composers. Mm -hmm. And I would say kind of, you know, it, it will take a while, but I think the importance of that component of it is will lessen the more that we can get the works databases up and running because ultimately the composer database is what's driving the works databases. So you can find first you find the composers, then you find what they've written and then you put those into the different databases. Right. And ultimately because the focus is primarily on those performers and conductors and educators and the people who are looking for the repertoire with that focus on pro better programming, um, that the works databases will really be, I think the, the ultimate goal is to have those, that's where you're focused on. And then they, you need the composer database in order to help drive those. So, Obviously, the uh, the demographics and and the the the, uh, the terminology that we use, uh, we're trying our best to be able to figure out what's the best way to be able to make it work where it is both useful for folks who are looking for repertoire, but at the same time is still respectful for the composers who are in the database, and that takes a while because that's not that's not a, a simple, oh, you just do right. this 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 done, so. It's, it is a, it is a uh, process and we're still going through it, uh, but I think we're getting a lot closer and we will getting, we'll, we're actually making some changes in terms of, especially how LGBTQ uh, composers um, are, are, are represented in the database. That's, that's another one that has been thorny for many reasons. And, and mm -hmm. we're slowly trying to figure out the best way to be able to make it work, both for the folks who are using the search interface as well as the information that will be uh coming out so that's still in the in the process of getting uh worked on but um i would say probably by the beginning of next year uh, things will be looking a lot better in that way well and y'all are only not even two years old officially as the institute so i mean it's just a baby you know so <laughs> I'm well, a volunteer baby at that. <laughs> <laughs> everybody has their own full-time job, and then everybody's helping us uh, with this stuff on the side. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's it 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 is good, but I think it can it can be and will be a lot better. Thank you. 
the criticism you've received just really speaks to the potential of the project because I think we tend to get, I mean, when we find something that we like, we go, oh my God, okay, I need to remake this and do it in my vision. So I think that's a, it's a huge compliment to the, the Institute itself because, you know, you've started this thing that have, that's going to mean so many things to so many people and it's, it's going to be really cool to see how that all grows, but hopefully the criticism keeps, can keep you guys on track <laughs> or won't get in the way of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's ultimately it is, it's good for us to be able to hear these concerns and, and to be able to kind of figure out, you know, for instance, you know, just what I was mentioning before in terms of, of um, the search interface for the longest time, kind of just on a very technical nuts and bolts way of thinking, for the longest time we were just like, well, we need, you know, these spreadsheets, you have people and all of their information in roads, and then you have columns and the columns correlated to the search interface. So you'd have a button and that would tell you jazz or opera or city or one of those things. Mm -hmm. And that would correlate to a column that's in the database. So for the longest time, we always just assumed that, oh, you have, you only have the number of columns that you need for the, the search interface. And then what's, whatever's there goes up into the response information pages or the cards that come up. And it's only been, I would say in the last two or three months when we've been talking about it, that we've started to figure out, wait a minute, no, we could have extra columns that don't correlate to search buttons, but then when they come up, we can provide additional information. Hmm. So things like say pronouns. One of the reasons why we didn't do pronouns uh, for folks who, who belong to the LGBTQ plus community was that the idea of why would someone be searching for someone with a particular pronoun? Mm -hmm. And that was just kind of a mental block in, mm -hmm. in, in all of our, you know, those of us who were working on it, like, no, that, that why, that why, that yes, it is an important thing, but why would someone search for it until we figured out, wait a minute, we could have that as a, as a, as an information column in the database it just doesn't need to have a button that uh, that someone is searching for. But when they are searching for someone who belongs to that community, when it comes up, once mm -hmm. we're able to get these changes put together, then the, the, the card that comes up would be able to have that information. See, okay. So, right. And so, again, it's this thing of like, uh, and people will be like, <laughs> why aren't you doing this? I'm like, I, um, how does <laughs> like I can tell you, but it wouldn't, I, I'm not, it's, it's, it was, let's just say I've just been swimming in a vat of awkward for a very long time, but, uh, but it, I think it has, I think ultimately it's like, no, these are important things. And then to figure out how to be able to make it work and then to be able to get it out in a timely manner is, mm. is, it's always going to be challenging, but uh, I think now we have a lot more people who are working on it, who are invested in it. And so I think those things, those changes will come about and, uh, and hopefully over time folks, uh, folks will, will embrace what we're doing. See, so I know this kind of happens sometimes um, 
when I was working on my dissertation, it was on hip hop music and and uh, the, and the rap music scene and especially internationally. Um, and I found that as I was doing research, people started asking me a whole bunch of questions about it and things that I really didn't necessarily know. Do you do you feel like since you started this and you've it's kind of starting to grow that people automatically assume that you're some sort of like authority uh, of this of knowledge or of this racial equality and things? Um, yeah, and in some in some ways, I think so. I think it's easy for folks to be like, oh, he's running the diversity database thing, so he must be an expert in all of the things. And I'm like, no, I'm totally not. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I'm very much not. I'd like to think that I do have uh, some expertise in terms of just both kind of knowing who more composers are just to kind of and and trying to be a, a, a liaison or a middle person between what performers and composer and conductors sorry uh, performers and conductors and educators need kind of because of my background in music ed mm -hmm. and conducting and performing so I like I, I can kind of understand how they're coming at it and mm -hmm how they make going back to those decision making processes how they make their programming decisions and then trying to like okay here's what you would need in order to fix those but then also to ask why and this and this is this is a good um kind of uh transition into why because it's one thing and, and it, it's one thing just to say, okay, you've checked off all your boxes. You are now performing an appropriate number of, of works by composers from underrepresented groups. And, and I, I agree with everyone who says that is not what we should be doing. And I totally agree. That is not how folks should be going about this. <laughs> Obviously, they need to be thinking of who the composers are, and then they're they're they should be perform, performing their works because the music is good, because it resonates with them, because they think it will resonate with both the performers and the audiences. All of the reasons why you would perform any other works. Primarily, this is providing access to works that you might not have known about. Mm. That's pretty much it. But my own experience working with young composers has also kind of fed into this. And I know full well that even just from my own description of my own background as a composer back in the day, no one told me that I could be a composer when I was growing up. And I'm a white guy, right? <laughs> and I'm sure Hillary probably had a similar situation, but maybe even more so. And if you think about someone who is um from any of these other underrepresented groups the challenges for young musicians from those groups to imagine themselves as composers is really challenging yeah and it is my hope from the rob the composer point of view that the more works that are being performed from all of these different underrepresented groups 
will normalize it to the to the point where five years down the road, ten years down the road, you have kids in middle school and in high school and in college that that's just like, well, of course I could become a composer because we've I we've been playing works and I've been hearing works by people who are like me. Mm-hmm. And then what will happen? Then we get more composers. And then you get more, right? You'll get more composers from those groups. And then over time, working the system from both top and bottom, like the people who are making the programming decisions, and then also increasing the number of people who are actually creating music, creating art, bringing their own voices to the table. Mm -hmm. It's then, you know, looking long term, one would hope that that would really have an impact in terms of, of our art form and and all of the things holy cow yeah (laughs) (laughs) no that representation is so vital um yeah i remember when i was like i originally went into engineering and was just not loving it was doing really well but was not loving it and i remember thinking like seeing that composition was on the U of M's website and I was like, oh my gosh, people still do this? Like, because I mean, like, <laughs> you only heard of, like, all I had grown up with was Mozart and my mom was a pianist and she was always playing these works and it just it never occurred to me that, like, oh, people still write music? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, or, like, in that style, especially, I mean, I, of course, you know, you have your radio and stuff like that, but no, that's just so cool. That representation is going to be amazing as it starts to really kick off and keep going. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I know that's one of the things that I, I see a lot, especially here, is uh, I heard from uh, her story from Cassidy Reed is that she said, uh, representation equals realization. So um, and it's just that that idea. I had never really thought about it either, but I was thinking as a what was it like being as a kid wanting, thinking about being a composer and thinking, well, you know, Stravinsky's dead and Mahler's dead and uh, Copeland just died like two years ago and Bernstein's gone. So, I mean, who else is really out there? There can't be that many people, you know? And uh, (laughs) even though in our town, we had like a composer who was teaching at our university, you know, but he did mostly the conducting and, so we didn't really, but again, he was over 60 and we're just like, ah, you know, it's old. And Well, and of course it's fascinating now um, in, in 2020, because it's so easy for students to get involved in composing because of notation software and garage band and all of the different opportunities that to be honest, 30 years ago when I was doing this uh, and just kind of getting started, I, when I was doing my big band charts, I was writing them out by hand with yeah. a pencil and paper, you know, and I would be <laughs> staying up all night in the, in uh, the, you know, the all night diner uh, <laughs> writing parts out for a week, uh, you know, because yeah. that's what you did. Yeah. And it was really, really hard in order to hear the piece. You actually had to write the whole thing out and hand it to your friends and then listen to it. And now, you know, 30 years later, we have the technology where folks can pick that stuff up much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 
so many things that we still need to deal with in terms of composition pedagogy and 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 you know making sure that folks understand the creative process and all of that but those um those roadblocks are no longer there mm -hmm. so now it's like okay you have access to the tools but you still need to have the um it's one thing for for a teacher to say hey you can do this mm -hmm. but it's another thing for it to be shown through modeling mm -hmm. that modeling can only really be done through repertoire that that the students are playing that the students are hearing um it's it's the same thing with conducting and and, and performing same exact thing the more say conductors of color or women women conductors there are the more chance you are to inspire others from those groups to be able to do the same thing and then the numbers grow and then there you go so it it's it's a long process but i think it's a good one so. yeah absolutely do you see the database ever like as you get older are you going to keep working on it till the day you die and like you know, on your deathbed, be like, I got to put one more date in. Or are you going to be, no, here, you're 40 years younger, take the baton, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, there's the question. Um, well, <laughs> four years ago, I didn't know I was going to be doing this in the first place. So. <laughs> I have, to be perfectly honest, I have no idea. It's, it is, it is one of those things where, um, I recognize that it is a, it is associated with me now and and I'd like to think that I have some good things to say about it and some still some good things to say in terms of of the directionality of it. Uh but obviously no. Like there's no like there's no there's nothing special about me that like oh it can't run without me. No. I, there's plenty <laughs> of people who could run with it. Um and and so in terms of when and how at what point do i step away i at this point i don't know but i will just we'll just probably recognize it when it when it comes um the interesting thing is is that it's not really something that i need to do like i'm not right. mm -hmm. your I'm livelihood not making, isn't based on I'm it like, i'm not making any money off of it yeah. I'm <laughs> not like I'm getting notoriety, but notoriety doesn't do that much. And to be honest, I'm getting a fair amount of notoriety on both sides of the continuum. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of a wash. Uh, I'm not, I didn't really do this in order to make my name because I already, I was doing that in a lot of different other arenas. And so really this is something that for whatever reason, I just decided, Hey, this would be useful for the world why don't I do, why don't I at least get it started? And then we'll just kind of go from there. And uh, over time, especially I would say in the last six months, more and more people for all of the reasons, the fact that folks have had a little bit more time on their hands because of uh, the pandemic over the summer, as well as a heightened sense of awareness of the situation because of um, George Floyd and everything that's been happening in our society since June. Uh, there's been more and more folks who have been willing to come in and volunteer their time and really invest themselves into the concept. And hopefully over time, 
it can get to the point where where I'm doing less of of the big pushing of the stuff, and then it's just kind of a bunch of folks who are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the future, I just I I like to think that you know it could be something like I'm you know, I'm uh, I don't know we've been talking about comparing it to like a library or IMSLP mm-hmm. or something like that, right? So it's there. And it continues to to happen, um, but ultimately, it's something like it's a resource, just like anything else. That that uh, it's continually growing and and building. But I think hopefully, once the newness of the thing of the whole concept wears away, and it allows folks to just use it on a regular basis, because that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right right just like in any other you know it's it's just another tool that you use just like all of the other tools that, that we would use in in those circumstances so at least that's what's popping into my head today in in this <laughs> saturday <laughs> afternoon i i don't i don't really obviously i haven't really planned out what the next 10 or 20 years are going to be but but that's that's kind of where i'd like to see it you know something that's stable and uh you know, it's continually getting better. Uh, but ultimately, it's going to be something that that once we're able to get at least the main databases up and running, mm-hmm. then it's kind of there. Like yeah. we're still it's still in the midst of of being built. Mm-hmm. Once it's once it gets to that kind of critical mass where it's now a thing, then it can kind of move forward under its own own volition. And then you're going to be off to the next idea. <laughs> I'm like five years from now, you're going to be on a new project. <laughs> He's going to be out there finding the cruise ship composers. <laughs> no, actually, if if anything, one of the things that you know, and and I haven't really told anybody else this, but uh, one of the one of the things that I've always wanted to do is. Um, something completely different uh which has to do with instrumentation Uh, i've taught i've taught my instrumentation and orchestration classes a number of times and i've always really gotten in uh, enjoyment of trying to figure out how the 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 how our modern instruments have kind of evolved over the last thousands of years Mm -hmm. And the cultures from where they came from, like we tend to think of, yeah, you know, there are instruments that we tend to think of as like, oh, those are European, you know, white people instruments. And you're like, <laughs> no, actually, those that, that came from the Middle East, or yeah. no, that actually came over here. Yeah. And and to be able to 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 come up with a way to be able to, I don't know, kind of explain how our music, even what we think of as Western art music. Mm-hmm has so many connections to outside cultures like it even the things that we think of as kind of like the building blocks of our western european culture are not a a granite block that that is that is entirely and only from you know western europe yes right ego hurting my ego But to be able to, but to be able to think of how that works just from how the instruments uh, evolved, and and uh, even to think of it from a composer standpoint, we tend to think of the composers 
as driving the bus on musical innovation, mm -hmm. like harmonic innovation or something like that. Mm -hmm. There are so many reasons why like music in the middle of the 19th century suddenly got a lot more chromatic and it had nothing to do with the fact that all of the instruments that they were writing for uh, you know, especially in like larger ensembles were suddenly chromatic and not just playing on like the harmonic series of whatever crook they happen to be playing on. <laughs> so, right. I mean, and those exactly. are the types of things. Yeah. I, mean, I love the idea of kind of turning something like that on your head and, and thinking about like, Oh wait, no, maybe, maybe <laughs> like maybe it was the person who invented these valves on the um, on the brass instruments that had an effect and the fact that the woodwind instruments finally got to be able to be played in tune in all 12 keys uh, mm -hmm. because it was so hard to do back in say just 50 or 100 years previous then the composers finally had the the, the ability to be able to write music and then to imagine well what happened what would have happened if Mozart and Haydn had those instruments at their uh, disposal so yeah not to not to go off on a completely different tangent but yes there's plenty of other things that plenty of other projects that at some point i'd love to be able to tackle in my spare time but for right now this this might take a little while so uh we just want to thank you so much for being on our podcast and uh giving everyone the insights and the details about Institute Composers Diversity. Um, so uh, I guess the only question I have is if you are, if someone is a, uh, that would like to be involved, either volunteering or even just maybe submitting themselves to be included, how should they go about doing that? Yeah, well, first off, I would love to thank you both, William and Hillary, for having me on. And I very much appreciate being able to have these conversations it's it's awesome uh if anyone's interested in getting involved or or submitting their works or submitting themselves into our database uh just go to composerdiversity.com we have a contact page which allows folks to be able to to contact us through there as well as um, pages with with uh, submission forms uh for basically all of our uh our different uh, databases, as well as the composer database. So they can just find it all on the website. Perfect. Perfect. And we'll include that too. We'll include the link for that. Sorry, Hillary. Uh, cool. And everything. So, so yeah. So thank you so much for being on. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at Sounds of the world podcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>